I teach in administrative segregation, so solitary confinement in uh, the jail here. And these are people who are generally, you know, um, they're in on trial for something and they can't be with other, uh, other prisoners for, for whatever reason. And after one of the first classes uh, that I had done there and started with these guys, second class in, second class in, I always ask at the end, I said, what are you, you know, what are you, what are you taking away from practice today? What's standing out to you? And the guy says, you know, I'm really glad that I'm practicing yoga now because um, my mom practices yoga and it's something that I can connect with her over. And then he looks around and, you know, they're all in these separate cages, so they can't even really see each other. But he says to the rest of the, the people in the group, he says, you know, and this is something like even if we're in our own cells, even if we're locked away, it's something that we could do together so we can have like a community here, you know. And so here is um, second practice with, with him. And, you know, in solitary confinement where, you know, the only other human beings that they see are the deputies that come and escort them from one place to another or the mental health people that show up there. Um, they don't really spend time, you know, with one another. And here he is calling out like we could be a community. And to me, I mean, you just again and again and again, you know, we see that that's what heals. You know, when we can feel um, safe and connected to others, it's just the, the healing happens. We don't have to make it happen. So we create an environment of, of safety and connection. Welcome back to another episode of the Look Up Podcast. I am your host, Mark Weinstein, and as always, I am forever here in service to all of you. Extremely grateful to you for continuing to listen along uh, with me as I journey through uh, my own curiosity and exploring conversations with uh, some of who I believe to be the most unique and interesting individuals in the world that are offering their service uh, to humanity, whether that be through building businesses, through charity work, um, through creating foundations, through creating and innovating on new ideas, through service. This is one of my favorite podcast episodes that I've ever recorded, and I think it represents wholly what uh, Lookup is about. It is today, April 5th, 2020. Uh, and it is the first time that I listened to this episode since recording it in October of 2019. As some of you may know, if you've been listening along, um, in January, I lost six podcast episodes when my computer was stolen. Uh, and this was, I thought, one of them. But lucky for me, my guest had recorded both of our audio on his side, and we were able to salvage the episode. And now, um, having just started recording episodes a month ago, uh, I'm able to finally release this. This is an episode with the executive director of the Prison Yoga Project, uh, Bill Brown. Bill has been working and serving at the Prison Yoga Project since 2013. 
He leads yoga classes at the um, prison and jails in and around San Diego, but has traveled all over the country um, in this work, in this service. He also maintains a private practice uh, as a Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy practitioner and group facilitator specializing in working with survivors of trauma. And I think that it is extremely clear in this episode that Bill has been putting in the work um, on his yoga practice uh, through not only the exploration of little s self, um, our small self, rather than the capital S self or the universal whole or the collective consciousness that brings us all together. But as he describes towards the end of the episode, he has moved his practice from one of self-exploration to one of service. And I think that's a lesson that we can all learn here. And as I said, this episode is one of my favorites of all time because of its multidimensionality. We explore a wide array of topics. In fact, the reason I got in touch with Bill was because I was prepared to release a month of Look Up podcast episodes exclusively dedicated to criminal justice reform in the United States. The criminal justice system in the United States is so obviously broken to me. Uh, It is a representation of a failure of our humanity. The very word criminal is an elaborate way for us to remove ourselves from the inhumane treatment of our fellow man as we leave them incarcerated in cells for oftentimes nonviolent crimes. Rules like the three strikes rule that for nonviolent offenders uh, who have committed drug-related crimes in the war on drugs have packed our prisons. We spend $80 billion per year on prisons in the United States, and we still have a 76% failure rate, meaning that 76% of prisoners after five years are back in their cells. There is obviously a need for reform in this system, and I'm following closely a few organizations like Prison Yoga Project, like Defy Ventures, who are helping entrepreneurs and 77 million jobs who are helping um, incarcerated individuals get work after prison, learn basic skills. And Prison Yoga Project focuses on restorative justice, meaning that we are using the time that these individuals are in jails and prisons to help them go deeper and to explore the trauma and to understand why they ended up there and to heal themselves and those around them. There is a direct correlation to uh, prison yoga projects work within um, mods or, or modular living arrangements within prisons and jails, where just by holding classes in those units, there has been a reduction in both violence and recidivism. I'm also following the work that Meek Mill and Van Jones and Jay-Z and others like Mike Novogratz are doing at the Reform Alliance. Uh, And I believe there's still so much work to be done. And I've been dying to have one of them on the show as well. So if one of you are listening or anyone that's connected to them, let them know, you know, want them to come on. Six of the, I would say four of the episodes that were stolen were all focused on uh, criminal justice reform. And I'm going to re-record hopefully all of them. These guests have a ton of work to do on their plates. And so as a steward of 
there these conversations i failed them by losing those episodes and you know it's not their responsibility to re-record but i hope that we can do it um going back to criminal justice reform 80 billion dollars spent in the united states in my home state of california we have spent $64,000 per incarcerated individual per year. This compares to the $11,500 per student per year that we spend on public education, which is absurd because it has been proven that having a basic reading level or high school diploma can reduce your chances of going to jail. It's estimated that we would save $18.5 billion per year on prisons if we were only able to increase the high school graduation rate amongst men by a 5%. Another interesting statistic is that jail has become the de facto psychiatric care provider in the United States. The three largest psychiatric care providers in the USA are the New York County Jail, the Los Angeles County Jail, and the Cook County Jail in Chicago. We have a problem, and there's a lot of different ways to go about fixing it. Um, you know, activism and policy are extremely important, but people like Bill, Bill Brown, who's in this interview, who are doing the hard work on the ground of going in at the grassroots level and helping reshape policy in prisons, behavior in prisons by working directly with the prisoners and the staff on new practices, hugely important. Um, Prison Yoga Project has trained 3,000 plus um, mental health and wellness practitioners and also um, counselors and legal counselors that are spending a lot of time in prisons. I know this has been a long introduction, so bear with me uh, because I think this is one of the best episodes that I've ever recorded and Bill just dropped so many freaking knowledge bombs and wisdom bombs on me throughout this episode and I've shared some of them in the show notes and I'll be sharing some of them on social media. And as I said, this is one of my favorite episodes because of the multidimensionality. I mean, we spend some time talking about criminal justice reform, but then we also dive super deep on the practice of yoga and how yoga is a science that can free us from the prison of our own minds. In many ways, we are all prisoners of the identities that we have carefully crafted for ourselves over the years, uh, and it is the practice of yoga that can help us break those chains. And what's incredible, is, as Bill describes, is some of the people that he meets in jail and prison are the most free, especially having gone through this practice more free than many of us who live free, quote unquote, on the outside. I think that's it. Um, right now, there is a crisis in our prisons. As I said, it's April 5th, 2020. We're smack in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. And our incarcerated individuals are struggling because there's not adequate medical supplies in prisons to protect against outbreaks where individuals are living in close quarters. And so we're seeing um, massive outbreaks within prisons in the United States. Van Jones is covering this and the Reform Alliance are doing their best to get medical supplies to prisons. We need to change. We need to change so much policy around criminal justice in the US. And I hope that I can salvage some of the other episodes or re-record them because there is so much more to explore here. But thank you as always for listening along. Uh, if you if this episode resonates with you, please share it out uh, with your friends and family and others on your social media accounts. I think this is one of the more important um, episodes that I've ever recorded, not to downplay the importance of others, but uh, really a topic that is close to my heart. If you feel called to serve, you can donate to the Prison Yoga Project or you can train with them. Ah, yes, I just remember the last thing. So Bill actually invited me to go down to San Diego and uh, participate in one of the yoga classes um, at the 
uh, prison where he teaches there. And unfortunately, I drove down three hours um, from Los Angeles bright and early. And uh, due to a paperwork malfunction, uh, I was not allowed in to the prison. And we still haven't rebooked an experience, but I really do want to go with Bill. So Bill, when you're listening to this, let's get it done. I think it's so important. We are all separated from incarcerated individuals through labels like criminal, um, words that dehumanize. And how many of us have truly experienced what it's like to be behind bars? I don't, I don't know. You know, many of us probably have not. And so really understanding and empathizing with these incarcerated humans is so crucial towards getting the ideas out that can change the system. Okay, that's it for me for today. Um, Continue to bring you Look Up episodes every week. Please um, leave five-star reviews if you love it. Uh, Leave comments. Send me guest recommendations, marc at thelookuppodcast.com. I'm exploring all sorts of subjects. As you can see, we've moved well beyond um, the mental health effects of social media use, although we'll continue to explore that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you all for listening. I feel so grateful to be able to serve in this way and will continue to do so. So without any more from me, I bring to you Bill Brown, Executive Director of the Prison Yoga Project. Bill Brown, thank you for coming on the Look Up podcast today uh, for the first in a series that I think I'll be calling Locked Up. Um, you know, I, we were just talking about this uh, prison reform and, and the kind of uh, prison industrial complex, as some call it, I believe is a major, major issue that doesn't get enough attention um, in our country. And while LookUp started, you know, talking about kind of digital wellness and the attention economy, I think, you know, it's going to grow. I hope that this show grows into raising awareness for a number of topics that are important for us to have at top of mind. And what strikes me about, um, you know, about our prison system in particular is the way that we have an underclass of sub-citizens or sub-humans that we call criminals. And they're treated as such with fewer rights than we have. And the whole point of prison to me seems to be reform, to, you know, to reform these individuals or restore. Uh, and instead, it, it seems like just a trap to keep people down. So that's enough for my, uh, for my open and blabber. But Bill, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for bringing awareness to, um, to, this, uh, to this topic. It, you know, we can start right, you know, where, where, where you started, you know, you would think that the point of the criminal justice system and what's happening there would be to create safer communities. Um, and it's clear that that's not what's happening. We spend $80.1 billion a year on our uh, prison system. And we have a 76% failure rate, uh, 76% rearrest rate within the first five years. So clearly what's happening with that money and uh, all the effort and energy that's put into it is not, uh, is not working towards helping people rehabilitate. Um, you used the term restore. And I think you can start with recognizing that 
our prison system is about punishment. Um, it has the offender at the center of the system. Uh, the victim is largely left out of the process. And so, you know, it's one model of justice, the punitive model of justice, but there are other models like restorative justice and transformative justice. Restorative justice takes the victim and moves them to the center of the process and says, well, you've been harmed. What can we do to begin to make you whole again? And in doing that, um, we start to look at, you know, how did the, the, the crime impact uh, not just the victim, but then the victim's immediate family and the community at large. And then it starts to take another step back and look at, well, what led the offender to be in the position that they were in that led to the offense? And, you know, working with guys in prison, I mostly work with men um, in prison, you you realize you get to know them you get to know their stories you don't wind up in prison because everything went well in your life most of these people are carrying some really significant trauma with them um and that this is what's led to the type of behavior that led them into um, that moment in time or you know that habit that was harming others that eventually led them into prison or jail um prison jail so very different places and you mentioned you know uh, an undercast of of people in this country our jail system has become you know the de facto mental health provider in the united states after the closure of state hospitals throughout the 50s and into the 60s Uh, we have uh, the three largest psychiatric care providers in the united states are the uh, los angeles county jail New York City Jail and uh, Cook County Jail in Chicago. Wait, can we can we take it? Can we take a step back for my you know my own education and for the listeners? Can you um, describe for us the difference between prison and jail? I think that's super important. Yeah, yeah. Um, so th- our state prison system is where you're going to go uh, if you have been tried and convicted of uh, felony crime. Um, violent or nonviolent offenses, um, uh, but this is where you're going to be after conviction. So uh, jail then is where you might go uh, to serve out time for a misdemeanor. Um, In California, nonviolent offenses are often served in county jails. Um, It's also where you would be awaiting, um, you know, you, if you don't make bail, it's where you're going to be held while you're, uh, uh, in trial or waiting to be sentenced. Um, so a lot of the people uh, who are in our jails, you know, they may be picked up. They may never be charged with a crime. They may be held there. Like a lot of the people that we see, you know, in our classes in jail, these are guys, probably about 50% of the people um, are uh, there because they're addicts or have some other kind of mental illness, they're never going to be charged with a crime. They're going to be held and they're going to be released. Um, There are, you know, the other half or so are people that are being uh, held while they're in trial waiting or awaiting sentencing because they don't have the money to make bail. 
And the numbers, I mean, it's been a while since I looked at the numbers, but I remember being completely blown away by the sheer volume of people that are in our system, but just have not been processed. They've been um, arrested for a crime, but not proven guilty, and they just cannot afford to get out. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had those numbers at my at my fingertips. Um, I don't, but it's extraordinary. And and in fact, when you look at that number of eighty point one billion, you know that we're spending on on prisons, um, you know there are so many other costs that are part of that that aren't being counted in that. And the bail system is one of those um, uh, very expensive parts of the criminal justice system and it's a you know it's all being carried by the accused um uh and it's uncounted you know it's difficult to quantify uh you know and and then you hear individual stories like um i'm uh the the young man in new york city who was held in rikers for three years without being charged with a crime and eventually released. He was under suspicion of stealing a backpack. He's held in Rikers, uh, I believe as a juvenile, held in, in uh, solitary confinement. And then shortly after he was released, uh, uh, took his own life. So the numbers are staggering, the individual, the detail of it is shocking. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, I'll dive into the numbers either, you know, in, in an intro to this series or in another episode. Um, you know, it strikes me as arcane to begin with that we have a system where you have to pay to be released. I get it. I'd love to learn like the, the history of, of bail. Well, yeah, and and there is a um, there's a bail project. Um, I think in New York City it was they collected a pool of money, um, and they would post bail for people whose families couldn't afford it. And what they found is ninety eight percent of the money was coming back, so people weren't skipping out on bail. You know, they were going through. And the statistics, um, again, I wish I had these at my fingertips. Uh, for, uh, you know, how much more successful a person is at successfully defending themselves if they're able to make bail, um, you know, and not be trying to, uh, you know, defend themselves from within a jail. Uh, you're, li- you know, you're going to be limited in the access to resources, access to your lawyer, all of these things. So uh, it's just one way that, you know, the, the burden of the criminal justice system falls on people, you know, who uh, lack economic resources. I hear that. I want to go back to the story of this, of this, um, this young man in Rikers, right? And, you know, part of, I think, one of the reasons I'm very excited to have you on, Bill, is because I think, you know, you are on the ground floor. You, you pro- have you been to Rikers? I've not been to Rikers, no. But we've had, um, uh, we've had programs in Rikers before. Yeah, and you're, you're down in San Diego. Yeah. And you're spending how many hours a week in, in prisons and jails? Right now, I'm only spending about uh, six hours a week only. in prisons. Yeah, only. Yeah, it used to be much more. I used to teach more classes. But since I took over the role of ED for Prison Yoga Project, 
I mean, it's a 60 to 70 hour a week job. What's happened is, you know, it used to be that we would have to kind of beg to get in. You know, it's like, let us come offer yoga in your prisoner jail. And the uh, tide has turned. And we have uh, more demand from different prisons, jails for our services than, than we really have the resources to meet. Um, some very exciting things happening uh, in uh, Ohio in particular. Uh, just got back from Ohio where they are really looking to bring yoga in as an integrated part of the uh, rehabilitative programming that they're offering throughout the state. So fingers crossed. Yeah. The intention is beautiful, you know, because they're really recognizing, you know, that, that it, it does feel, you know, the, the system itself wants reform. I don't think anybody in the system, except for perhaps, you know, some of the unions whose members stand to lose jobs if we shrink the prison system, uh, I don't think anybody involved in the system feels like, uh, you know, it should continue as it is. I mean, if the if the goal is to, you know, reform and, you know, have prisoners come out and become productive members of society, and we're talking about nearly a 70% rate of reincarceration, I mean, there is no industry in the world that I know of that would tolerate those kind of failure rates. I mean, the next closest thing I can think of off the top is another huge problem that I might address one day, which is the student debt crisis in America. The two seem completely related to me in some, in some deeper um, way. But, you know, it, I, I, it's promising to hear that at least within the system, people are fed up with the fact that it's the fact with the numbers that it's not working. Punitive justice does not work in at scale, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think, uh, you know, in, in any sense, uh, you know, and it's, I think this is one of the other things that's, that, that's important to bear in mind. Um, it didn't always used to be this way. The, we, we did not lock people up as the punishment for their crime. We locked them up while they were awaiting trial and sentencing and punishments to, you know, were pretty much, you know, either financial or corporal or capital. And so you would have, um, you know, uh, people who, you know, you would take off a limb, you know, or you would put somebody to death. And so, you know, incarceration as punishment uh, was something that evolved in the late 1800s. So it's not the way it was always handled. Um, and it, it, it evolved first in the United States. Um, some people suggest that the idea of uh, capitalism, um, you know, your time being uh, something that is valuable and you can establish a monetary value for your time. So then to punish somebody, you would take time away from their life and you'd lock them up in a penitentiary so that they could, um, uh, you know, think about what they've done uh, in the eyes of God and hopefully uh, come to a miraculous um, transformation. And it doesn't, you know, and I, you know, and obviously, I mean, they knew then Dickens uh, uh, visited one of the early penitentiaries and, 
you know, writes about how like isolating humans from one another uh, is uh, seems worse than some of the capital and corporal punishment that happened prior because uh, it, yeah. it's cruel and you're enduring it. You know, it's not just done and over with you're enduring it. Yeah, it's interesting because it strikes me as humane in some ways when I think about it relative to, you know, getting a hand cut off and you can, you know, you can um, definitely see how that argument might have been made. But then I guess I would liken it to, you know, having a, a dull, chronic pain or illness versus like, you know, a, a flu or something really aggressive that ha- comes and goes. You know, in some ways, it, in some ways, it is worse psychologically. Yeah. Oh, and especially when you get um, practices like solitary confinement. That's you know, human beings are uh, social creatures, and and if we're cut off from connection with one another, uh, we're we're having a very basic need, almost as as vital as you know, food and water taken away from our us. So, um, and, you know, and again, uh, we, and we expect people who uh, have lived difficult lives and experienced trauma to go into this environment, which um, everything uh, about prison is like, feels contradictory to the things that are helpful for people who are living with unresolved trauma or for people who have mental illness or addiction. Let, let me let me stop you there because that's where I was going with you know asking if you visited Rikers, which maybe not that particular prison, but you're spending six hours a week now in prisons. You spent much more time in prisons prior to that. I guess one, how long have you been working on the prison yoga project, just to get a sense of kind of the the you know how deep you are here? And then the follow up to that is like, what is the environment like? in these prisons, I feel all we have on the outside is like Oz or (laughs) entertainment, right? To really understand not everyone. I don't know most, I don't know how many people have visited prisons or have someone connected to them in prison or jail, but many of us and those who are listening might not have ever come into contact, you know, with, with a prison or jail. So I'm curious one, how long have you been doing this? You've been just like speak to your experience a little bit. And then two, what are you seeing on the ground in these places? So, um, yeah, I've been doing this since 2013 for the last six years. I have been in jails. Uh, I have been in prisons. I've been in uh, federal prisons. I've been in federal prisons in Mexico. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of different um, incarceration environments, and they're all very, very, very different. Um, they're designed for different purposes. So just to start, you know, with, uh, with a jail and then within that system, oh, juvenile detention centers too, but within the jails, right, then you're going to have facilities which are like a booking facility. Here, that would be San Diego Central Jail. So this is where people are being held right off the street or they're awaiting sentencing. And then you've got other facilities like East Mesa Juvenile or East Mesa Detention Center, which is a place where you might go and spend a year um, before you're released. Um, The environment at Central, it's in a big building. You go in, 
You go up an elevator, you go back down another elevator, you're in the secured part of the building. If you're in there, you don't see daylight. You don't breathe uh, non... Uh, you don't breathe fresh air. It's all uh, uh, processed air and it's all fluorescent lights. And so, you know, if your trial lasts for two years, your trial and sentencing, you're in an environment where you don't feel sunlight on your skin or you don't breathe fresh air for two years. And you're living in a six by nine cell that's uh, triple bunked. So, and if something goes wrong, you might get locked down for four or five days at a time, which means you're not going to leave a closet, like a large walk-in closet, where you are with two other people. They're going to bring you your, your food. You're going to go to bathroom there. It's like everything. It is your entire world. So jails are generally, you know, the ones, they're mostly built for short term. So there's not a lot of recreation space. Um, I've heard, you know, we used to have one in San Diego that's been closed, but it was underground. And so the only, you know, you were, you're, you're locked away, you're underground. And this is for people awaiting trial. This, yeah, these are people who may or may not be convicted of a crime. Which is insane, but they're sometimes spending two years there because the trial can take forever to process which is why there's all these plea bargains that happen, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they'll, they'll you know, if you don't have money for a good attorney, uh, you know, they may offer you five years if you plead to something and they'll threaten you with a 20-year sentence if it goes to trial and you lose. And so you have people um, who may or may not be guilty of a crime pleading just so that they can have a reduced sentence. Um, prisons are a very different place. Um, most prisons, um, you know, because they are designed for people to be there for um, some, for decades. Um, I have people in my uh, yoga classes that have been there for 40 plus years. But there's generally a lot more space to move around. There's a lot more um, freedom of movement. There are a lot more opportunities for recreation you know, basketball courts and things like that, things that you just don't get in that jail environment. You know, and then within, so again, within the prison system, you've got multiple levels, right? Most places, four-level system, level four being maximum, three to one, and then minimum. And each of those, if you're on a, a level four yard, it just has a very different feel than a level, you know, three or a two yard. Um, you're talking about multiple perimeters of fencing, very restricted movement, um, a very unpredictable environment um, where, and there's, you, you have the sense that anything could happen at any moment. Um, uh, I, I also, a lot of active drug use, a lot of active heroin use, um, a lot of mental illness on higher level yards. Uh, when you start to move down, uh, you would probably be surprised at how peaceful it can feel um, in uh, like a level two yard. We have one here at Donovan that is a shining example of, of, uh, of, of prison reform, and it's being led and driven by the, uh, by the incarcerated people on that yard. Um, 
they're really taking things into their own hands and and demonstrating a level of uh, self-responsibility that is allowing the system to kind of back off a little bit. Um, they're painting, for instance, you walk in and the whole place is gray. Massive, you know, big gray concrete buildings, big gray yard with, you know, gravel. There was no green in the yard at all. Um, they have started to paint the buildings with murals, two-story murals, and they're planning to do the entire perimeter of the inside of the yard. The gray concrete um, picnic benches, they're painting the bases of those just so that there's color and it's not so monotonous because, right, you know, it's without some sort of stimulation, your brain uh, uh, doesn't function properly. So, you know, and then the relationships between, uh, between the people, you know, are very different as well. There's, I mean, you can't have that many people living that close without expecting some conflict. But I've also seen, and it was the very first time I went in, um, I remember uh, uh, at the end of the, the program that we were doing, one of the guys um, walks over to another guy who's in wheelchair um, and he takes, he's, he's got these, he's got a big folder full of, uh, D and D information and his D and D books. Okay. Um, so there's a whole subculture of people who do art. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got the time, use it. So, so he takes his, his stack of D and D material and he puts it in this guy's lap and, and he says, well, he says, you want to lift back to your, you know, back to your dorm. And so he takes his material and he's like pushing him. And I just remember thinking, you know, this is, there's as much kindness and compassion, you know, between people in this place as there, there's more, there's much more kindness and compassion, I would say, than there is, you know, uh, uh, violence. Um, but then it is, it's unpredictable. And, and then the relationship between the COs and the prisoners, uh, in most cases, uh, um, creates a, a level of, uh, you know, hostility. Neither side feels like it can really step, step back and deescalate. Um, I really want to create opportunities for people to come inside. Um, we have, um, uh, we do trainings around the country and every year. 2,300 trainees. It's more like, yeah, we're 3,000 plus. Not everybody gets involved, but, um, and we have a variety. I mean, it's not just yoga teachers, but a lot of um, mental health people. Uh, yeah, a lot of the people who come to our trainings, they're not just yoga teachers, but they are uh, mental health professionals and um, lawyers, people involved in the criminal justice system. A lot of them are just curious about what's happening in prisons and jails. And, uh, you know, the intersection of yoga and, and that community is something that I think attracts a lot of people, raises a question. Uh, I want to bring those people in. Most of them have a yoga practice. And so I want to create situations where people can come in and just do a yoga practice. Like we'll bring 20 people in from the outside, get 20 people from the inside together, 
we'll do a yoga practice together. We always practice in a circle. And then I want to split it up and do two and two so that they have a chance, you know, two incarcerated people, two free people, and they can talk. What's it like? You know, what is your experience? You know, how does yoga help you? And uh, just sort of create that dialogue. The idea, and this is um, using uh, one of the folks at uh, Donovan, his name's Bernal, and he's you know, says we've got to dilute the prison. You know, if we're going to be released back into the free world and all we know is this prison environment, then we're doomed for failure. It's like we need more interaction with the community so that we know how to behave, how to speak, you know, just practice at being a free person. Uh, we got to create that kind of society inside uh, if we're going to be able to uh, succeed on the outside. Yeah, he's a brilliant yeah, man. You know, I was going to ask, um, you know, why, why yoga and why it's so important for the prisoners? You know, I'm, there's, a, there's a mantra that I was taught by one of my teachers, um, hum sa so hum which means I am that, that I am, or it can mean I am you, you are me, kind of seeing thyself and the other. And when you talk about diluting the prison, you know, it cuts both ways. It was interesting to hear you say that there's in some ways more, more positive behavior, more kindness in some of these places than you see even in the, in not the real world, because it's the real world. See? in you know the free world let's call it and it was put free in quotes too in quotes for sure because because <laughs> yoga's it's funny yoga is a, is a practice to free all of us from the prison of our of our minds of the of the little s self that we create so i think it's so beautiful you know it's so so beautiful what you do and it goes both ways as, as you mentioned like i think having more people visit prisons would a, lead to more of an appreciation of our freedom, quote unquote, air quotes again, but, you know, the opportunity to be free. And then B, also, I'm again reminded of another kind of yoga-related quote, which came from Gandhi. Um, he talked about, you know, treating, treating the disease, not the patient, right? Like the, the disease <laughs> is the enemy, not, not the person carrying it. And mm -hmm. at least when we think about that type of disease and when we think about mental health issues, as you, as you mentioned, is prevalent in some of the jails and the trauma that people carry, which leads them to act a certain way, which is that is fundamentally to me what must be treated. And instead, we, we attack the people and we call them criminals. So, you know, more visits would create an em empathetic effect, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that and that really is, you know, empathy and compassion, I think, is the end goal here. Um, it's yeah. what leads us into connection with others. And when you're looking at trauma, you know, trauma is some sort of harm that you're carrying with you uh, uh, as you move through life that creates a disconnect between you and others. And I think the intersection of, of yoga in this world has so much to teach us about how we can relate with one another, um, regardless of uh, what our situation is, in a way that is more um, humane and 
respectful. You know, we look at prison environment and it's this environment of like radical power differential. The prisoners have no power and the officers have all the power. And so when we're looking at that, uh, we're adapting the way that we offer yoga to uh, be like an antidote for that situation. So for instance, um, we try not to refer to ourselves as teachers. We're facilitators. They're not coming to my yoga class. I'm coming to their yoga class. Sometimes I'll say to them, you know, I'm an excuse so that we can practice yoga together. You know, I come in here so that we can gather as a community. So we, tr you know, we practice in a circle, like you think about the way yoga is offered in a studio where you've got a teacher who's up and walking around and giving adjustments to these people who are in these rows, typically. And it's like there's that power differential that's happening in the studio. What I really want to do is create a situation where um, we're going to do some things together and I'm going to guide your awareness to certain aspects of your experience. And then through that awareness of that experience, you're going to connect to resources that are yours. It's not something that I have to give you. I'm just going to help you find what's already yours, what's your birthright. And we talk about this, you know, you look at the Yoga Sutras, you know, the first three Yoga Sutras. Oh, hold on. I don't want to go down that path. I want to get, I want to go back to this different approach to yoga, right? So, so we're adapting our yoga for the situation. And we know that we're working with a group of people that have um, far higher rates of uh, trauma, far higher rates of addiction, far higher rates of mental illness than the general population. There was a study that was done in 1997 called the uh, Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, and it was done uh, uh, by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente, and they looked at um, long-term health outcomes of a group of 171,000 people, and those people took a survey where they identified, you know, did you experience this adverse experience during childhood? So things like abuse, neglect, having a parent who is incarcerated, um, seeing uh, uh, domestic violence, uh, living in poverty. So there are some things that, you know, they identified as adverse childhood experiences that strongly correlate with health outcomes later in life. Like uh, four or more ACEs, I believe you've got an eight times greater risk for suicidality. So the link between trauma and health outcomes is well established. Um, they then said, well, what other outcomes could we correlate this to? So criminality, again, strong correlation with criminality. Um, so we can make this assumption that, that that's what we're working with. One of the things that yoga is particularly uh, well suited for, I like to say that we're, um, we're using the body and the breath but what we're really doing is speaking to the autonomic nervous system. And trauma is a disruption of the autonomic nervous system, where you're uh, much more in a mode of fight-flight and self-protection, and all of these things that create a barrier, right, between you and others. Because, you know, we're, we're, we move between these poles of protect and connect. And so when we're 
like feeling like everything in the world is a threat, which is kind of the experience of carrying unresolved trauma. It's keeping us dissociated from others. Um, we also, uh, you know, it's like that you're in that mode. You're not able to start to do the self-inquiry that allows you to um, understand your own patterns, right? In yoga, samskaras, right? The patterns of behavior that, that we keep repeating, which, you know, again, keep us from being in that moment and open to connection with another person. And, and when we start to look at ourselves and we start to do that self-inquiry, that's when we start to see that, oh, just like me, just like me. And I've had guys say this, you know, um, uh, uh, a, a person who had real problems with uh, anger management throughout his life, and, you know, he has been in prison for 23 years now. Um, after starting yoga, his anger starts to subside. Right. So he's moving out of that fight flight mode, um, starting to be able to be in a relaxed and awake state more more often. And then he starts to have insights about like, you know, um, one of the things that had happened to him is he'd been beaten pretty severely by some police prior to the offense that landed him in prison. And he's always harbored a resentment anger towards the policeman that beat him. And at one point in the time that I've known him, he said, you know, I started writing, you know, we're supposed to write this letter of forgiveness to this person who had harmed us. And uh, so I, my letter starts out, dear asshole, right? And he's writing to this cop that had, <laughs> that had beat him so severely, he landed in the hospital for, for days. So he's writing this letter to this cop and he says, all of a sudden I realize, man, I'm that cop for every single guy that I beat up since I've come to prison and making this connection. And he's like, when you see that, when you see that, how could you harm another person? You know, it's like you start seeing yourself in everyone, you know, and how could you, how could you harm another person? Uh, I mean, although we probably all spend plenty of time doing things to harm ourselves, unfortunately. Harm ourselves and harm others. And it's, you know, yoga is such a beautiful, beautiful practice and tradition and philosophy and lifestyle. You know, there's so many concepts, you know, you talk about samskara and you think about karma and cause and effect and, and, you know, really when, when going back to your idea of restorative justice versus punitive justice, when we move to a system of punitive justice, in a way we're punishing victims because they're victims themselves, right? Criminals are also victims. And it just strikes me as inhuman, inhumane, right? Um, so, you know, I, I would, I'm curious, like, You've given this one anecdote, you've given a few anecdotes, which are really, I appreciate that because I think it's the human element that you're so connected to in, in these places. Like, what other effects are you seeing and are these prisons seeing from the introduction of, of yoga classes into, into their system? Mm -hmm. I think 
you know, I mean, when you look at it statistically, we we know that where there are yoga programs, there are fewer incidents of violence in the mod, not just among people who are participating in the program, but the mod in general tends to be more peaceful. And when I say mod, module, right? Like housing module. So uh, less aggression, less um, impulse, uh, impulsive behavior. Um, the thing that I see that to me is, you know, it reveals itself in layers. Uh, you have that initial layer where we're getting out of fight or flight, out of survival mode, and you start to move into this uh, connection. And we, it creates a sense of community and a sense of belonging to something that is uh, pro-social. Um, I mean, even in a place, I teach in administrative segregation, so solitary confinement in uh, the jail here. And these are people who are generally, you know, um, they're in on trial for something and they can't be with other people. Uh, other prisoners for for whatever reason and after one of the first classes uh, that I had done there and started with these guys second class in second class in I always ask at the end I said what do you you know what are you what are you taking away from practice today what's standing out to you and the guy says, you know, I'm really glad that I'm practicing yoga now because um, my mom practices yoga and it's something that I can connect with her over. And then he looks around and, you know, they're all in these separate cages so they can't even really see each other. But he says to the rest of the, the people in the group, he says, you know, and this is something like even if we're in our own cells, even if we're locked away, it's something that we could do together so we can have like a community here. You know, and so here is um, second practice with, with him. And, you know, in solitary confinement where, you know, the only other human beings that they see are the deputies that come and escort them from one place to another or the mental health people that show up there. Um, they don't really spend time, you know, with one another. And here he is calling out, like, we could be a community. And to me, I mean, you just again and again and again, you know, we see that that's what heals. You know, when we can feel um, safe and connected to others, it's just the, the healing happens. We don't have to make it happen. So we create an environment of, of safety and connection. And then transformation starts to happen because, you know, I don't want to say that there's, you know, like everybody's essentially good because I think everybody's essentially human. And I think that we have um, impulses for survival that are going to cause us to do things that are harmful to others. And I don't wanna, so I don't wanna call it good or evil, right? But in the absence of threat and in an environment, so in, in an environment of safety, um, the connecting and the pro-social and the helpful and the compassion it emerges. We don't have to, we don't have to uh, bring it out. And it's like uh, Padabi Joyce, you know, he says, you know, do the practice, all is coming. 
And I really do feel that way. You know, and we know that through yoga, you know, measuring uh, changes in brain structure, you know, the amygdala shrinks, uh, mid prefrontal cortex, the density and number of connections and neurons in the mid prefrontal cortex increases. It's like, do this practice. Fear starts to uh, diminish. Uh, and without that, love emerges. It's going to happen. And my friend Tierney, uh, a yoga teacher with us, uh, she says, uh, you know, spirituality, you know, is a side effect of this practice. And I really do believe that, you know, this just, it, it just happens. That if you give people an opportunity, um, then, then they're going to find their way to that sense of connection that to me is spirituality, a sense of being um, in and of the universe. Yeah, I think that's, that's beautiful. And that's, that's the case with, I think, not just, you know, yoga in prisons, but yoga everywhere. You know, I, when I taught um, at yoga to the people in New York, it was just interesting to see, you know, the reasons why people found their way to yoga. Oftentimes, there was an injury, you know, especially for men, right? They, they need to be broken before they can, you know, I think the stigma around it has changed, but for a time it was like, if you're a man that wants to do yoga, you know, you have to do it because of the injury. <laughs> there, yeah. there was definitely a, yeah, exactly. And they come in and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you know, they have that one experience of Savasana and, and they're gone. They're not, their, their monkey brain has paused and it's just, you know, you want to tap into that. Yeah. Um, and it starts with the physical practice, but I'm curious, you know, how do you structure your classes? Um, is it all asana or I, I noticed on the website, it talks about kind of yoga for trauma as well. So can you walk me through maybe some standard practices? Yeah. One of the things that I think, uh, you know, so like I said, if you, you know, if you were to come to our, our, our class and you're welcome to come anytime you want to, we can hook that up. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause to see it, you know, is then you'll have a whole different perspective. Typically we start a practice with some movement because, um, uh, you know, oftentimes in a jail, people have been locked down, you know, or, uh, you know, what we're really looking to do is kind of wake up the nervous system throughout the whole body. We're practicing mindfulness. Um, it's just a, like when you're thinking, uh, like if you think about like a sitting practice doing breath awareness, these are very subtle. Um, you're still aware of sensations in your body. They're just very, very subtle. And when you're working with somebody who doesn't may not have a lot of experience with mindfulness or if they're dissociated with their body, then you're going to want to have something that's a little more meaty to hook into. So like, for instance, if we're in chair and we're about, you know, five to 10 breaths into it, you're feeling something in your legs that is hard to ignore, no matter how dissociated from your body you are. You're also starting to burn off energy, like if you're held in toxic stress or holding unresolved trauma in your body, you're starting to burn that energy off by doing these big poses. So what we're doing in our practices are often, um, you know, we'll go through, you know, some initial movement, we'll go through uh, some warm up, but then uh, the the part of the practice uh uh, the, the largest part of the practice is really alternating 
between um, poses that have a lot of uh, big engagement and then poses uh, uh, that are relaxing. So we're moving between effort and ease. Uh, we're not going to go through like in a vinyasa class, which is what I think a lot of people think of as yoga these days, where you're moving constantly from pose to pose to pose to pose. We're going to stay in a place, whether it's, uh, you know, like a warrior pose or chair, we're going to hold that. Notice what's happening in the body. We're encouraging people always to, when you start, when you feel it's right for you, move out of the pose. So I'm not going to encourage somebody like, you got this, you can do this, go, go, go. It's more like, notice your edge. Yeah, child pose is there. Is yeah. There you need it. Yeah, because what we're really looking to do is train the nervous system. If you can think of, you know, fight, flight as you're up, right? You're aroused, right? And then we want to train to move the nervous system from here into parasympathetic engagement, rest and restore. So like trauma is as though, you know, the, the light switch has been flipped on and then it rusted in place there. So I like to say that we're, we alternate between effort and ease as a way of like flipping that light switch back and forth and back and forth so that we can train the body to just naturally go from upset to like down and loose. Yeah, and you just move your shoulders yeah. up and then down. Yeah. I feel that, that tense kind of shoulders. Yeah. Up, and then, ah. <sighs> yeah, and, and it's that, and it's not that we want to just go relax, relax, relax. It's that no. we want to notice when we're up and we want to come down. You know, and we want to train the body to just naturally move that way. I want to touch base just on two definitions quickly um, because you've used them both. Oh, yeah. Where everyone listening will will be aware, and I always get them mixed up. So parasympathetic nervous system is kind of the part of your nervous system or this the set of, of neurons and synaptic connections that is activated during rest, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing, if you start at like, like the, you know, the most basic part of our brain, our lizard brain controls the bodily functions, right? And our physiology, it's the autonomic nervous system. So it controls fight or flight. Yeah. And then it is, it is split between two sides, sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic. So sympathetic means aroused with the emotions. So this is our fight flight. And what happens is, um, you know, so if we're feeling a threat, it changes the process. It doesn't matter if you finish digesting your sandwich, if the bear eats you, right? So it's going to shut down digestion and it's going to activate your heart. It's going to start moving, uh, uh, you know, it's going to constrict blood vessels in your core and uh, dilate blood vessels in your limbs. So it's meant for short-term survival. We are, we're meant to be in periods of stress very briefly, and then we fall back into rest and restore um, for long-term health. So functioning of the immune system, digestion, reproductive systems, things like that. That's the parasympathetic side. And so what happens with trauma is uh, you experience some sort of threat that becomes overwhelming, and then the body doesn't re-regulate. And so you're constantly stuck. There are some things that happen in the mind with memory so uh, the experience doesn't get tagged as having happened in the past. So it's as though you're constantly feeling uh, a state of, of threat. And it's actually your body's physiological systems are reacting as though there's a present threat. 
And there's a process called neuroception where the signals from your body, you're, you're not even necessarily aware of them, but they're being communicated back up through the vagus nerve to the brain. And so just like if you sat there and you just mildly tensed your body, like you're going to trigger a cognitive reaction based on that, right? A feeling of unease and, and, um, and a feeling of being in threat. <laughs> I'm, I've been doing this, this series of meditations and I think it's connected to your background. Um, somehow Omega meditations, I think you were connected to the Omega Institute. Is that well, yeah. So, yeah, through the Yoga Service Council, um, they sponsor the Yoga Service Council. And uh, we wrote a, a book called um, Best Practices for Yoga in the Criminal Justice System. They, they brought us all together. But I'm not familiar with Omega Meditations. Okay, got it. Yeah, I started doing them. And, and it's just fascinating because even within, I think even within meditation, um, we can be still activating the sympathetic nervous system because we're so, you know, for me personally, when I'm trying to even just like place my awareness on my breath, it can be actually done in a way that's quite um, aggressive, you know, like I'm really paying attention to my breath right now, you know, and, and what I love about these meditations is he really differentiates, the guide really differentiates between kind of like laser focused attention and just like resting gently resting your awareness on something so it's incredible i mean there's obviously a science behind yoga is the science of self but you and the prison yoga project have clearly thought through the structure of the class you know to treat trauma so you said you start with a meaty physical practice moving from very strong poses chair pose warrior and then bringing it back down um, how, how does the rest of the class proceed? Well, yeah, and alternating between those two throughout the practice and then working with um, a lot of cueing that is, you know, you can have like a direct physical cue, like, you know, extend your arm alongside your ear. You can have a, a, a cue that says, um, um, notice the sensations in your hands. Now, if I know that um, somebody is working, you know, has trauma and they're maybe not dissociated from their body, and maybe you're, it's difficult for you to feel your hands, so you might want to try wiggling your fingertips. And notice I'm also saying you might want to try. So there's an idea that, okay, well, they're going to have, they're going to be the ones to make the choice to do a thing, um, which is another, uh, you know, uh, feature of a trauma-informed yoga practice. So you really pull back from making directives. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, you know, and I think you it can get really uh, fine in doing that. You can really refine your language um, so that it becomes something that really is empowering. And I think the other thing that we're doing often is, like, for instance, child's pose, right? Like, in a, a you know, typically it'll be like, uh, you know, oh, just make your way into this pose, and it's about surrender, and it feels great, and everything. But, like, let's say you're a victim of sexual trauma, you know, and somebody had, you know, um, uh, you know, put you face down and held you there. 
Well, you can imagine that being in child's pose may not feel relaxing because, you know, you're back in this position that was very vulnerable and at which you uh, were uh, uh, violated, right? And so, um, and for me, you know, I just, it's like I feel claustrophobic. And so to call awareness, to say, um, you know, uh, what's the emotional experience of being in the pose? Like chair pose might feel powerful, or maybe it feels like torture. So allowing people, so, and so we'll often talk about this is what my experience is. Your experience might be different. Some people uh, find uh, it, it's very easy to be in stillness. For some people, um, it can be very uncomfortable. Like you may want be feeling in savasana, like you want to jump up and run. Um, because that, I mean, that just to be wide open, like, yeah, that's one of, that's one of my biggest pet peeves from your yoga classes. I think you can tell, um, you know, when, when the instructor, um, kind of cues how one should feel in a pose. And I think it's something that you kind of evolve over time in, in your teaching practice to kind of move away from, but there's nothing worse than being a student in a yoga class. And this is universal, not just prison in prison yeah. or dealing with yeah. trauma than feeling one way and having this kind of guide teacher tell you that you should be feeling another way. In that well, program. especially if you're in a bad mood, you know, yeah. you're feeling <laughs> shitty and everybody's like, just be happy. It's like, yeah. well, fuck that, you know, I'm going to be shitty right now. And cause if we feel it, it moves through us. I mean, this is the thing with the emotions. It's like, we want them to move through us. We don't want to clamp down on that. And, uh, I pretty much have stopped going to yoga in studios because um, because of that feeling of not really being in control of my own practice or my yeah, experience yeah. in it. It's funny how like yoga to me is so far from woo-woo, mm -hmm. right? Like yoga is like a, a science of self <laughs> and self in connection to other and the, the universe. And like, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe that got, got a little woo-woo, but it's really just, it's practice. It's pra it's pr it can be very pragmatic as well. And um, I guess my question is, how are you when, you know, you talk about allowing, you know, allowing emotions to arise, not suppressing them. How do you do that in this container and keep it safe? Right. Um, when there's, you know, victims of trauma that have been violent actors in the past? Yeah. So this is, um, that, that's an important question. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, uh, I really stress, like, do your best 80%. Um, my first yoga class uh, that I got into, you know, it's a heated room, power vinyasa practice. We hit pigeon on the right side and all of a sudden I'm weeping. You know, this is my first experience with yoga. I had the, you know, that sensation that you describe at the end of practice where I'm in savasana and it's like felt safe for the first time in my body. I, I had a medical trauma um, that left me with, um, you know, it was being held in my right hip. And so when I go in in a really aggressive way in a pigeon pose, you know, and uh, here I am uh, 
uh, it, that part of my body that's holding on to my trauma, you know, and it does release and it, it is not something we want to do in a prison is break people down and then say, well, I hope you had a good practice. I'll see you next week, you know? And so we are like, even though, um, we may be doing like big physical poses, like warrior poses and chair and, uh, you know, some, uh, balancing poses in the practice can be, uh, challenging. We're always trying to set that X, you know, that, um, not expectation, but the opportunity for them to be the one to choose their edge so that they're not um, gonna move into that state of overwhelm. Like we have a capacity to hold stress in our body, you know, and when we move past that capacity, then, you know, we, we flip our lid, right? We lose it. And so how do you find out like where that edge is? And if we can be near that edge, like holding chair, doing a, a pranayama like Ujjayi breath, you know, we're actually stretching, you know, we're, we're strengthening our nervous system, our capacity to hold stress by not moving into overwhelm, but managing through something like the breath. Um, and it is, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, what you say, yoga is so layered because there's this fine level of detail where you can talk about, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to do this breathing, ujjayi breathing, which actually, you know, concentrates CO2 in our lungs and that concentration of CO2 in our lungs, because we're not like fully expelling it each time causes our blood vessels in, to dilate. And, and in doing that, we're able to, um, you know, work in this really fine way with the body in a, in a way that strengthens the, our capacity to hold stress, right? And so it's everything down to that and everything up to that feeling. And, and I don't think it's woo-woo at all. I think it's entirely practical to recognize, um, you know, that, that, we are in and of the universe, you know, and a part of that and really have that tantric perspective of, um, you know, being able to see the divine in every aspect of, of what we meet through our experience. Um, and just, you know, and it's like, God, just, you know, like, I feel like I found some, uh, magic secret, you know, uh, that, you know, you just put the focus on other people and, and act with kindness and really listen. And suddenly your whole experience of life changes. Um, and I really think this is the gift that yoga ultimately brings, you know, and it's where, you know, being able to recognize that I'm safe. And you move through life with a fearlessness that opens up a more loving connection with everyone and everything. Um, to not to get too woo woo. <laughs> no, no, it's true. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful, right? You're going. It's like this is why I love you know speaking with people that have practiced for a long time and are really deep into yoga because you know to hear one to hear you move from you know the 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 biology behind ujjayi which i didn't know that by the way and i practice ujjayi all the time i didn't realize what was happening at the physiological level and then to move out towards that you know the kind of like further out maybe kosha 
Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We're moving right from the deepest of the monomaya out to whatever the spiritual yeah. kosha is, right? Yeah. And it's all, but it's and it's all together because it's that it's that you know it's that uh, allowing yourself to be able to feel stress but not react is what opens up that connection to love. It's like you know, move from, Eknath Iswaran in uh, a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, he says, you know, we have the, the downward pull uh, of our evolutionary past and the upward thrust of conscious evolution. And that's what I think yoga is. It's like we have this ability to pay attention and take <laughs> Yeah. Right? Like, oh man, you know, when somebody says something that like you've just been feeling, but ah, you nailed it. I've been feeling that so. I described it. Wow. The, you said it was the, the kind of downward pulling of our karmic past and the upward propeller of conscious evolution. I just, in the conversation before the one we had, was talking to a friend about how I feel like. You know, like in stock charts, when it starts to like flatten at the top and like these little, like the big leap up becomes like a little triangle and the price hits this thing called a resistance. So it's kind of bouncing off like the ceiling, right? And I feel in my personal life, like I'm at this, I keep hitting this resistance in my conscious evolution and I want to blow through it. But I also have this tremendous fear of, of dropping back down. That's like, that's, you know, the tightrope. Um, but it's so beautiful that this just happened. I love that. And we've moved completely away from prison, but this is so incredible anyways. Well, you know, I mean. Prison of self. Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the, this, okay. So this is the thing, you know, if like, let's forget about prison and let's just, I mean, these guys are just there having a different life experience you know, and, um, you know, as you say, you know, we're all locked in, you know, um, some sort of prison of our own making through this process of, you know, trying to cling to an identity that we've created for ourselves. And, and, and this is the opportunity that I see in prison because there, it does carry with it this additional level of intensity that causes people to really have to examine and to do the personal work. Um, and then, uh, like, so there's this moment, and it's, you know, not where you are, but it's where how far you've come. And there are people, I, like, I wish the people in my life, and particularly the men in my life, were more like the men that I know in prison. Not to say all of them, and and certainly, you know, I am exposed to a smaller segment. I'm not seeing all the guys on the yard. I'm seeing the people who come, who choose to come to a yoga practice. But the personal work that they've done in a very fearless way um, is uh, is is extraordinary. Well, in, in many ways, you know, their identity has been stripped from them when they when they become criminals quote unquote, now you're a criminal. You're not, you know, you're, you're, and this is why I wanted to connect with you because this concept that we have in our, in American culture today of like this, these definitions, right? Criminal, terrorist, 
even Democrat, Republican, these identities that we carry and, and put on other people makes them the other, makes them non-human, makes them separate from us. And yoga is a practice of yoking, of connecting each and every one of us. And so what a better dojo, what better dojo than a place that stripped you of that worldly identity to go and connect with big capital S self. Yeah. Oh, man. And yet within that environment, then there are so many identity politics, you know, and unfortunately the system, uh, you know, for decades and still like uh, uses things like racial identity as a way of pitting uh, one group of, of uh, prisoners against another group of prisoners so that they're not united against the officers. Um, it's it's much less so, I think, that way now, at least um, in the environments that that I'm working in. Um, but I remember when I first started working at the prison six years ago, they had these old boards um, where the cell assignments were written on the board. And at the bottom of the board, um, there was a, you know, a, a heading for black, white, Asian, and other. And with a line there where you could write the number of each of those, um, uh, each of those, uh, you know, racial groups in, um, yeah, it's, but it, but there is this sense in there of this is for real, you know, I, I think we go through our lives and there's so many different opportunities for entertainments. Um, that we don't do the, the, the personal work, you know, we can amuse ourselves to death. Um, and, you know, just be distracted with consumerism or with our, oh yeah, with the, with the, <laughs> you know, I love talking about that, that, uh, Man, thank you by the way, because I uninstalled Facebook and Instagram from my phone. And I've uninstalled several other uh, apps that I found myself um, uh, using mindlessly. You know, we can, and, and we can, you know, and, and in the absence of that mindless, addictive, um, you know, frittering away of time, I have more conversations with people. Um, you know, I'm more present to my environment. Like, whereas I might have been you know, flipping at light speed through uh, photographs on Instagram, I'm looking at a tree, you know, or watching, uh, you know, some pigeons. A uh, pigeon, and this morning I sat at the water's edge and I watched a seal um, have its breakfast of a fish, and I watched all the seagulls come in and the life uh, that is existing between the fish and the seals and the seagulls, it's like, man, there's a whole like community of symbiotic uh uh connection that's happening out there in the in the in the water and i could have just been looking yeah, at i could have been watching cat videos yeah i'm i'm uh yeah I, I i feel that i think again it goes back to i've been reading a lot of stoicism i find stoicism to be very aligned with yoga philosophy in that we really live in prisons that we create for ourselves. You know, we really, we can choose to live a lifestyle 
based upon control of the internal versus focusing on the external. Um, I wanted to, uh, you know, I know I want to be conscious of your time. I know you're busy and I want to, I want to wrap soon, but before we do, I guess like an extremely important question that's been on my mind is what has spending the last six years of your life working with prisoners in prison, doing this practice, you know, what lessons have you pulled out of this? And I'm sure that this is more than a 10 minute (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, but yes and no. Um, Yes and no. And I I think it kind of, I think I I, I might have said it. um, I'm going to say it again, maybe a little bit of a different way. And I'm also going to be maybe just a little bit critical of of, uh, yoga in the free world. Um, Because what I see, you know, in yoga is uh, an anemic spirituality in a lot of ways that it's approached in, you know, the way it's been commercialized, the fact that it's packaged in these, you know, 60 to 90 minute blocks of time that you go to a studio and you do this, you know, primarily uh, uh, asana focused practice. Um, I think there's a yearning towards a deeper spiritual connection. But we do this work, you know, on ourselves, um, you know, to try and heal ourselves or to fix ourselves. And we do need to cultivate a certain amount of calmness and insight. But once that is achieved, and I'm using, you know, Buddhist model here, then it needs to, the focus needs to shift away from ourselves and onto other people you know, moving from the Hinayana path onto the Mahayana path, the Bodhisattva's path. And like, when that transition comes, and I see that it's like missing in yoga, there's not enough opportunities to take your yoga practice into service in relationship Mm. with others. And what I've found is that when we do that, our own problems start to melt. It's as though, um, you know, I don't, it's not like I don't have anxiety over things, but it just seems so much less critical when my focus is on making sure that the people around me are as healthy and, and uh, well cared for as, as they can be. And what can I do in service? Um, and, uh, you know, that, has been the lesson that I take from it. I think that that if we show up without judgment, with kindness and presence, that's all. That's all we really need. It's simple. It's as simple as that, and it works. The mic died. Well, that's perfect timing. <laughs> wow, we talked, uh, we ran out the batteries. Good. Yeah. Um, no, that was, that was perfect. Um, that was perfect, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, you know, that's why I do this podcast, honestly, and I continue to do it because it feels like service. The act of creating feels like service for me right now and, you know, getting to, to speak to people like you that are, you know, doing this really exciting and, and meaningful work 
and sharing your stories with others. And it's, uh, it's beautiful. So, so beautiful. And you're right. You're right. It's a great way to, it's definitely an element of my life. I'd like to expand. Um, a great way of coming out of ego is to be in service. Totally. Yeah. 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 It really is. Um, the, and, and it's, it is the thing I, I think, you know, there's a great book, um, the book of joy, Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, um, that, that talks about this. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, you know, Dalai Lama says, kindness is my religion. And I think if we just, I mean, let, let that be it. We don't need anything more than that. It's like the yoga sutras. You really need, only need one, one, one point one through 1.3. And then everything else is just, uh, you know. What is it? Uh, ahimsa, satya. Well, so yoga, so um, now is the study of yoga. Uh, you know, yoga is the restraint of consciousness patterning so that the oh, seer oh can abide in his or her own essence. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's like. We don't need to make it. It can be very simple. And I do appreciate you, you know, and what you're doing with the podcast. I mean, again, like, you know, um, I think, you know, where you started with it, it's like, we've got a problem in this world. I think that beyond the addictive qualities that, um, that the devices have, there's, um, uh, it, it puts a distance between us. We're meant, I mean, like, here we are. It's so much nicer to be able to see you than just yeah. to hear your voice. But imagine if only the thing we had was text, you know, um, oh, it's like, it's so low bandwidth and, 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 um, the, you know, like, like with any muscle, you know, the more we use it, the stronger it gets. And so if we are in presence with other people, we're developing that muscle that you know, of connection. Uh, and you're, so and you're working with, you know, through Prison Yoga Project, you're working with people who have had that social connection completely removed. And here we are doing it to ourselves. You know, it's wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. Um, and, and I'm serious. If you, uh, we need about 30 days notice. But if you okay. want to come in, um, well, give it 45 days because nothing ever happens on time. But if you're ever, you know, on the West Coast and you want to come down, our classes at Donovan are on Saturdays. You know, we can plan it out and get you cleared for a day pass to come in and you can see what this looks like from the inside. I'd love to do it. I mean, I'll give you 45 days notice now. I'll come, <laughs> I'll come down in October for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me, we'll set some email and we'll pick the date and I'll make sure that I'm working. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, I mean, I'm doing a prison month. I have to go visit a prison. <laughs> sure. Have you listened to ear hustle by the way? No. Oh, it's a fantastic podcast done by the uh, guys up at San Quentin state prison. Oh, you're going to be, it's called <laughs> ear hustle. Ear hustle. Yeah. You're going to love this. Yeah. Check it out. It's an awesome podcast. Yeah. I will for sure. I'm going to put it <laughs> right on. All right. Well, cool. I get, I, you know, I get to do another one of these later today, uh, but I'm going to have Tierney with me. So I'm going to let her do all the talking. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> it's wonderful, brother. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Thank you, you so much. You've been, you've been really focused on the practice for a long time and, and it shows it's, uh, I learned a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. It's been a really fun ride so far. I just get so excited every time I meet some of these incredible people and just love sharing their stories and, and ideas with you all. You can learn more about the show at thelookuppodcast.com. That's T-H-E, lookuppodcast.com. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on both Twitter, Instagram, um, and Medium and Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page for the show as well, The Lookup Podcast. Um, on Facebook. So check us out. Uh, You can also subscribe to our mailing list on the website for more future updates. If there's anything from the show that you want to catch, I've posted that in the show links for you to check out. And if there's any way that I can improve, please let me know. Feel free to reach out. If you have any guest recommendations, please let me know. Other than a couple of individuals who are helping me out in the background, you know, this is a passion project and I'm always open to feedback and any kind of support. I want to thank Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the sound editing and the intro and outro song that he created. And I want to thank Hello There Collective for their support on my social media. You can check them out at hellotherecollective.com. All right, that's enough for me. I'm sure you're ready to go on to your next activity. Thank you for listening. And please come back again next week for another episode of the Look Up Podcast. Podcast.